Well, good morning, Westridge. The winter has finally caught up with my sinuses, or vice versa, I don't know. So uh, I apologize, just bear with me on the voice a little bit. Uh, I hope I'm not too irritating. More than normal, which for some of you is considerable. I called Greg and I said, you know, I'm struggling with this sinus thing, you know, and he's the most pastoral, compassionate person we have on staff. And he said, look, I got troubles of my own. Man it up and get out of here. And leave plenty early, too, so you're not late. He did have this uh, artisanal uh, stand crafted in Wicker Park brought out for me, though, so uh, I've got my water in case I have a physiological breakdown. Um, starting a little two-part series today called Better, Building Better Relationships, and uh, I hope if you are newer to West Ridge or just still shopping around that this message will help you sort of plot where we are on the religious map, because sometimes... Uh, it's a little bit difficult if you're coming from a different background. I hope this message gives you something to hang your hat on. I think it is a mad world run by mad men. Uh, I think we live in contentious times uh, in many ways. It seems like we're a more divided country today than we've been in a century. Racially, still significantly segregated. Politically, do I have to tell you, sharply and bitterly divided. Income inequality widening, middle class disappearing, and then there's the church smack dab in the middle of this culture. Good thing everyone in every church gets along. (laughs) Swimmingly, smoothly, satisfactorily. No church horror stories here, no church divisiveness, fights, disagreements in your background, right? You colluded together to lie to me today, didn't you? (laughs) Were they handing out slips or something when you came in? It's at the door. It's at the door, okay. You know, I can even even forgive the, the divisiveness in the public arena, but it's a tougher pill to swallow in the church. Because unity was very, very important to Jesus. And for good reason. Few things will tap us out quicker and more completely than feeling like we're going it alone, that we're the only ones, that life has become something bigger than we can handle by ourselves. Newsflash, life is bigger than you can handle by yourself. Some of us have spiritual hernias from trying to carry heavy weights that we were never meant to carry alone. And it's common knowledge in the church world that where two or three are gathered together, there are six different opinions. The fact is, in the historic Christian faith, there's much more to agree upon than we might first imagine. The New Testament word for agree comes from the Greek uh, and gives us our English word symphony. It means to sound together, primarily used of musical instruments. It's also used of things that are said to be congruous in their nature. Different sounds, different points of emphasis, but playing from the same score, part of the same bigger picture, with the same conductor. Turns out, different is okay. Challenging at times, but it's okay. Until our daughters went to college, I had the privilege of living with three women. My beautiful wife to whom I've been married 38 years this June, and our two lovely daughters. 
I even got a male dog and he turned on me too. And the areas of agreement between the four of us were sometimes few and far between during those formative years. Reese and I have vastly different internal thermostats. So do I need to tell you this winter in Siberia has gone a long way to freeze our marital bliss. Lots of icy conversations. We have different tastes, certain different tastes in food and fashion, different views about TV and film. And sometimes when I express my preferences to Risa, she just looks at me and says, you're a very scary person. (laughs) And I find that more often than not, it's the little things that actually become the irritants. For example, I drink my coffee black the way normal people do. (laughs) It's simple. It's easy. It's authentic. No one should ever question that. But uh, did I mention I have a wife? She has the most complex concoction of things she puts into her coffee in the most specific quantities that I have ever seen in my life. One ingredient is French vanilla coffee mate. And so in our refrigerator, we have these huge, they must be 20-gallon drums of coffee mate that crowd out anything I'd like to place in the refrigerator. And I discovered similar differences between my two daughters and myself. Their tastes in music and clothes and jewelry and a little thing we like to call body piercings often left me wondering where I went wrong. It took a while because I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I, I, I discovered that I couldn't purchase one article of clothing that they would ever wear. And, you know, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm still in trauma having the music of the Spice Girls reverberating around the house. I'll tell you what I want. (laughs) What I really, really want. Yeah. But you can't stand the truth, so. So, you know, all these differences, but we're still committed to one another. We still love one another in spite of the diversity of taste and sometimes, in their case, the lack of taste. Diversity and harmony is possible within my family, just like it is within the family of God here this morning. Uniformity is not necessary for unity. Paul says in Romans, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We may play a different note from the person sitting next to us, But our diversity will create a more magnificent sound than if we all played the same instrument on the same note. Unity exists amidst diversity because we all follow the same musical score. Unity is so important because it's a prerequisite for something else. Unity is a prerequisite for rejuvenation, for revitalization, for rebirth, regeneration, renewal, any other reword that I've forgotten. Unity brings us back to life again. Conflict sucks the life out of us. When we go it alone, when we carry heavy burdens we were never meant to carry, when we live in contentious relationships, when we feel like we have to be the judge over every matter, life gets squeezed out of us. 
and whatever else you may call it, it's not living. If there's, if there's any hope for the church in this country, it'll be because the diverse parts of Christ's body decide to get along. And for that to happen, I think there are at least a couple of elements that we're going to have to take a closer look at. The first one is the basis of unity. What's really the basis of our unity? John writes in his gospel, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now, this passage in John's gospel, which comes just before the much more familiar John 3.16 passage, recalls an Old Testament story found in Numbers chapter 21. The nation of Israel was on its way to the promised land, and along the way, they began to complain about God and Moses. And so God sends poisonous serpents that bit and killed many of them. And if there's anything that will stop our complaining, it's poisonous serpents that will bite and kill you. So some of the brighter ones in the group quickly changed their mind and they hurried to Moses and asked him to go to God and do something about this problem. And so God told Moses to make a bronze serpent and put it up on a pole. And whenever a person was bit, they could look upon this serpent of bronze and live. And so John takes that story from the Old Testament and he applies it to Jesus. Jesus was put up on a pole too, a cross. And just as those who looked on the bronze serpent were given life, those who look on Jesus, John tells us, are given eternal life. Jesus would say in another place in John's Gospel, but I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And so what's the basis of our unity? Lifting up Jesus. Period. Together we can lift him higher than we can alone. And when our main concern is lifting up Jesus, we find that we're not as concerned about putting other people down. Will there still be diversity? Yes. Different traditions? There will be. Different preferences? Yep. Still be disagreements? They'll still be there. But if the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter did not always see eye to eye, I have to realize that I'm probably not going to see eye to eye with everyone in the church either. I don't have to. That's not the basis of our unity. Lifting up Jesus is that people see him. The Corinthian church was probably the most divisive church of any that the Apostle Paul wrote letters to in your New Testament. They had fights about the role of women. They had misunderstandings about spiritual gifts. They had confusion about what you could eat or drink, disagreements about how to spend your money. Good thing we don't argue about those things today in the church. And so Paul sums up the core of the Christian faith in his first letter to the Corinthians. He says this. Watch this very closely. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve there is the basis of our unity a common belief in the death burial and resurrection of Jesus that's one reason we have communion every week around here. 
It portrays the basis of our community, what we have in common. And when we settle the issue with regard to what really matters, all the superficial stuff, the arguments sort of fades away. And all that remains for us at that point is doing what Jesus asks us to do. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And so the basis of our unity is not mere intellectual assent to a set of doctrines. It's a life that demonstrates our love for all God's children. The word creed comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe. And down through the ages, there have been great ecumenical creeds of the early church that concisely summarized biblical truth affirming what all Christians hold in common. But ultimately and repeatedly, the New Testament reminds us that we only believe what we put into practice. James, for example, argues in his New Testament letter that to say you believe one thing and to behave a different way is to possess only intellectual assent, which he says is not saving faith. That's what Jesus is saying in John's Gospel, chapter 13. By this, all, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. If someone's lifting up Jesus, who was put to death, buried and raised from the dead, and loving other people who are doing the same, that's all I need to have unity with them. Second element of unity necessary for life to happen is to take just a second here and identify some of the barriers to unity. There's this sticky little issue of getting along with those closest to us. Have you found that it's easier to love people on distant shores, across the country, much easier to get along with them than those that we see every week or those with whom we live under the same roof? Battles within the same family, church, or biological are usually the most intense and sometimes the most violent. Here's a couple reasons why. One, a failure to appreciate those with different gifts and passions. Now, we naturally get involved in those areas that match our gifts and passions, and that's as it should be. But sometimes that gives us a short-sighted view of the rest of the body, which is equally important. And so if we work with children, it's, it's easy to overlook what's going on with high school students. If we work with students, it's easy to overlook what's going on with senior adults. If we have a family, it's e- easy to overlook what's going on with singles. If we're men, easy to overlook what's going on with women. If we're musically gifted, it's easy to overlook what's going on with the tonal impaired If we're athletic, it's easy to overlook what's going on with those like me who have a two-inch vertical leap and a 14-minute mile. (laughs) And if we're involved in international missions, it's easy to overlook those who are involved with local outreach. If we're party people, easy to overlook what's going on with the study people. And so which one of these groups are the most important? Yes. They're all important. And even though we may not be involved with those groups on the opposite ends of the spectrum, to love and appreciate them is a mark of the love of Christ and it's essential for unity. I think a second barrier is misunderstanding cultural differences and, and clinging to cultural affinities like they are some absolute truth. The author Malcolm Gladwell says that we all thin-slice people. 
And by that he means, based upon their appearance, when we first meet someone, we process all the data in a matter of seconds, and we immediately make assumptions about them, judgments about them. Assumptions and judgments that may not be accurate. And what I found over the years is that more churches have split over cultural affinities than doctrinal differences. In a moment of thin slicing, we notice, for example, how a person is clothed. Overdressed, underdressed, not my taste, not my color, dad jeans or designer jeans. We thin slice their degree of fitness. Works out, needs to work out, always out to lunch. We thin slice their hair, long, short, blonde, blue, sideburns, facial hair. And then there are the same issues with men. You know, I'm, I'm slow, but I'm sick today. Yeah. There's no end to cultural affinities. Food, do you know that food is one of the biggest cultural connectors and dividers in culture? We rarely associate with those whose diets are dissimilar to ours. It's just too much work. Entertainment, there are those who think watching the Cubs is really entertainment. Others think it's a slow form of torture. (laughs) Music, some of us have excellent taste in music like Michael and I. You know, and then some are like Pastor Darren. Yeah, yeah, well, he's out of town. He's out of town. Economic differences. Do I need to remind you that the early church involved both slaves and free men? And that today the gulf between the up and outers and the down and outers is bigger than it's ever been before. We can allow those things to divide us without even knowing it. But when we know and accept the true basis of our unity, the church can become the most diverse place on the face of the earth. That's what God intended for the church to be. And the watching world will look at us and say, that group of people, they shouldn't be getting along. Look how different they are from one another. There's old and young, rich and poor, all races, all languages, red states, blue states, Cub fans, Sox fans, Northsiders, Southsiders, what do any of them have in common with the other? And the church will say what we have in common with the others is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what we have in common. So you may give me a million reasons that I should be divided from you, that I should be stratified from you, that I should be marginalized from you. All I need is one reason to have unity with you, just one. That's why we have this quality of life. When you look upon Jesus, you have eternal life. That's not just quantity of life, that's quality of life. This unity is a prerequisite to that kind of life, to living. That's true Christian unity, not cultural conformity. Anything else is just the walking dead. And without Jesus, cultural conformity based on cultural affinity is the best you can hope for. Those of us in the church, we hope for something more. So I'm in New York City last week teaching my exegeting the city class. The first day I'm there, I walk down to the CVS to buy some water. Um, And like 
like a lot of things in Manhattan. There's, you get some odd choices sometimes. In this particular CVS, they had two choices for water. They had singles that you could pay $2 for, or they had a case of water that you could pay like $4 for. So uh, the case is way cheaper. And I'm thinking, I'll just get that. I may not drink them all, but it's cheaper. Uh, at the time, I was not thinking about, do you know how heavy it is to carry a case of water? <laughs> so I'm checking out, and all they have is these paper-thin plastic bags. You know, you know what they have. I mean, they are, they are really, really thin. And so I ask her to double bag it, and she does. And I lift it up, and I thought, oh, that's not going to work. And so I asked her to triple bag it, and I thought, surely that'd do the job. And as always, I was wrong again. So here I am walking down 6th Avenue in Manhattan with a too heavy case of bottled water that's just about to tear through the bag, the triple bagged CVS plastic bags. You could just see it was stretching it. Every few steps I'd take, it'd get longer and longer. And so I'm having to hold it up like this, (laughs) case of water's down here. And my hand is hurting, and my shoulder is hurting, and yeah, I'm a big wimp, but so what? (laughs) And I'm switching back and forth to lighten the load, and then I hear a voice behind me and said, there's a Dwayne Reed in the next block. Stop and get another bag. Well, Dwayne Reed is the Walgreens of Manhattan. So I'm thinking, yes, Lord, another bag. I'll do it. And I look back, and sure enough, the guy's talking to me. I think I haven't been in Manhattan for two hours. And I thin-sliced the guy, and I determined in my infinite wisdom and judgment that this is someone who's going to ask me for money because he gave me directions to a drugstore, only in New York City. So I just look back and say, thank you, and I just keep limping along, changing, bag, case of water, going down 6th Avenue. And the next thing I know, the guy's right beside me, and he's taking the case of water out of my hands, and he sits it on the sidewalk, and he reaches down, and he ties the three strands of the three bags, six in total, together, and somehow creates this magic loop at the top. There, he said, put your hand in the loop. And he was gone, just like that. Leaving me to think, what just happened here? Someone not like me, he wasn't like me racially, generationally, geographically. He didn't need to help help this hapless out-of-towner. But for whatever reason, he decided, this guy's carrying a heavy load. And I can help. I'm guessing afterwards, he probably felt more alive. I know I felt more hopeful that it's possible to look more at what we have in common instead of focusing on what divides us. So I thought for you this week, look for someone not like you who's carrying a heavier load than they should, give them a hand. You'll feel more alive after you do that.